Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. morning with a little um, good news, coronavirus good news. So apparently the fact that um, millions, even billions around the world of people are staying home and therefore not going all the places that at least temporarily we all once went. Um, apparently the skies are clearing up over China. Uh, you can actually look online at, at images of clear skies over China for the first time in, frankly, decades. Clear skies also over California um, and uh, fish swimming in Venice's canals and swans as well. Um, and so pollution is actually rapidly decreasing. Like the it, it's it's pretty extraordinary how quickly. I'm going to use a term here, and that's going to be Mother Nature, and I don't really like it because God is the God of it all. But, you know, it's in our vernacular and common parlance, Mother Nature is is a, is a term we all understand. Um, please recognize I am in no way, shape, or form um, seeking to uh, personify nor deify the earth. Um, but Mother Nature is, you know, sort of like cleaning up the global act. It, it, it's an interesting byproduct of the coronavirus. We are also seeing a, uh, a what I believe, and I've been indicating this, um, we're seeing revival. So on this past Sunday, when so many churches, not only here in the United States of America, but around the globe, were unable to meet in person, and so many uh, churches streamed their services online, um, one church here in North America uh, had Four and a half million people watch its live stream. That's pretty extraordinary. Uh, Greg Laurie, um, whom you hear on this network, uh, a quarter of a million people, a quarter of a million people tuned in to the live stream of their worship service this past Sunday, and 1,500 people made first-time commitments to Jesus Christ. Okay, so God is on the move. So when when we allow ourselves to recognize that God will take advantage of every opportunity to advance the gospel always and in all ways. We need to be looking for those opportunities to come alongside him in the work that he is doing, tilling the hearts. He's already tilling, tilling hearts and minds. It's now our opportunity um, to share with people the good news of the gospel. When they start asking questions, we want to be the people who are there online, not in person, but uh, but to answer. I've had lots of questions about you know, sort of like what happens to the church when we don't meet? Well, um, the church has been dispersed in lots of times and places and ways. And so I want you to consider the way that the church was dispersed because of persecution in the, you know, in the very first generation of Christianity. And yes, they were meeting in homes and they were meeting in small groups. I just want you to think about the ways in which when oppressive governments um, disallow 
evangelical Christianity in a particular place. The church goes, you know, quote unquote, underground. The church has survived in catacombs. The church has survived. Uh, it survived behind the Iron Curtain. The church is thriving in China. Um, and so don't worry. The, the church um, the church is going to be just fine. The question is whether or not we ever return to the kind of institutional expression um, that we had even just a few weeks ago. So I want to lift up a song uh, to you today, and it is God Be With Us or With You Till We Meet Again. This, is a, this was a song that was written by Jeremiah Rankin in 1882. He simply composed it for his church choir so they would have something to sing when they parted company each and every week, acknowledging that uh, God would be with them until they were able to meet again. I commend it to you in this season that we would recognize that God is with our brothers and sisters in Christ until we are able to meet with them again in person. It was on uh, postcards in both World War I and World War II that people across the United States of America wrote the words of God be with you till we meet again to uh, our young men serving overseas. And they would write, God be with you till we meet again. Keep love's banner floating over you. Smite death's threatening wave before you. God be with you till we meet again. Now, I think we ordinarily think of just the one refrain, God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, guide uphold you. With his sheep, securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Um, So just commend that to you. Uh, Maybe this is a good time for you to look up some songs and some hymns and the words to them and uh, and sing them. Yes, sing them. You could even take to Facebook and, and sing them. That'd be kind of fun. All right, Sean Dean is up next, Standing Stone Ministry. We're going to talk about the particular stress that church and ministry leaders are under not only now, but sort of in an ongoing way in the culture. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sean Dean. He works with Standing Stone Ministry. You can find it at standingstoneministry.org. Sean, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Praise the Lord for that good news you just shared. I'm glad to be with you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Yeah, and and God's going to be with you and I till we meet again. We had the opportunity to meet at a ministry leaders event um, in our community, and now we have the opportunity to meet via technology and share the good news of what you guys are doing at Standing Stone Ministry, but also just, I think, be of encouragement to people across the country in ministry today um, in this very, very odd and strange time we find ourselves in. Amen. Yeah, for for those who um, are part of a church community, I want you to know that, uh, at least from what I'm hearing uh, in my neck of the woods, and I suspect uh, in a much larger area, your pastors are faithfully just serving their guts out for you <laughs> uh, to make sure that you are connected to community, um, even with these new struggles. Um, they are strategically thinking about how to continue to worship God and spread the gospel, as you shared earlier, Carmen. God's uh, leading that charge, and it's uh, it's an honor to work with the people I work with. So tell us, um, tell us what uh, what you guys do at Standing Stone Ministry. I think it's going to be a surprise to a lot of people, Sean, that pastors and other Christian ministry leaders are in 
this particular level of stress, even before the coronavirus and and the fact that we don't get to meet together anymore. But even prior to that, um, pastors and ministry leaders under a lot of stress. So talk about what you guys do at Standing Stone. Absolutely. Um, The folks we work with, ministry leaders, pastors, and their spouses, uh, we do work with spouses, by the way, as well. Um, 54% of them find their role as pastor or ministry leader frequently overwhelming. Um, So what we do at Standing Stone, uh, we provide safe, confidential care for those pastors, those ministry leaders, and those spouses. Uh, We do that free of charge so that there's no hindrance for them uh, to come and get the care that they need. Uh, which a lot of times is just a safe place to be listened to. Uh, Another thing we do, uh, we establish mentoring relationships between experienced pastors and young leaders serving full-time vocational ministry. Um, About half of all pastors who answer a calling within the first five years quit and don't come back to ministry because of the struggles they face. Uh, So we're trying to reverse that trend. Um, And then the last uh, arm of our mission is we educate uh, church boards, whether that's a deacon board or uh, board of trustees or board of elders. We educate them and their members on the challenges that their leaders face, um, the needs that they have, and then the effective care uh, for their pastoral teams and their ministry teams. But, I mean, Sean, aren't our, um, I mean, I'm going to ask this question very tongue-in-cheek, you know, aren't our pastors and their spouses, like, superhuman? Don't they have spiritual resources about which the rest of us don't have access to and know about? I mean, don't they have like secret ways that they get together with God and he takes care of all that? <laughs> well, uh, that might be the the common perspective, um, but uh, I'm glad you said tongue in cheek, uh, because one thing that I think uh, your pastor, your ministry leader, uh, missionaries in your lives, they would want you to know is that they are human beings just like you. Um, They have sin struggles. They have temptations just like you. Uh, They get stressed out and get anxious just like you. And uh, as far as secret times with God, I mean, sure, if they go into their room and and, and pray uh, just like you, uh, they can have secret times. But as far as um, the power that they experience in their relationship with Christ, it's the same that you get to experience and, and the struggles are the same as well. All right, I'm going to continue my conversation in just a moment with Sean Dean. Standingstoneministry.org is uh, one you're going to want to uh, want to take note of. You're going to want to share it with your not only your pastor, but the leadership team at your church. Standingstoneministry.org. We'll be right back. talking with Sean Dean from Standing Stone Ministry. You can find them at standingstoneministry.org. Sean, let's talk about um, just the way that pastors and other ministry leaders um, and their spouses feel, um, because sometimes they feel more alone on their ministry journey than um, the rest of us might imagine. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, one of the biggest struggles that I hear about every day when I talk to these leaders and I talk to these spouses um, is the danger of isolation. Uh, they're surrounded by people, but they have no one to talk to heart to heart. And you think about how that would play out for a ministry leader or a pastor. They're in the public view um, and they're constantly being evaluated, constantly being judged, constantly being criticized. Um, not just on Sundays, by the way, 
Um, the ministers that I talk to, um, when they go into a room, a restaurant, when they go into a mall, they're constantly looking around to say, who do I know in this room? Um, not in a bad way, but, you know, they're always on. You know, they're, they're always that pastor or ministry leader or that the, spa, the spouse of that pastor or ministry leader. So something like 85% of uh, the folks that we talk to have a feeling of being on call or uh, on task as a pastor or ministry leader, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, I don't care who you are, that's going to weigh on you. <laughs> um, and as far as isolation, w- when you are alone, um, that's where the enemy uh, has room to attack in a way that he wouldn't previously. Um, when you're alone and feeling isolated, um, it's just uh, it's just a lot harder um, to find that safe place to to talk with someone about what you're struggling with. So that's one of the things that uh, we get to do, and I'm I'm grateful. So would you educate uh, church boards and church members on you know the challenges and the needs that their that their leaders and um, and the spouses of those leaders face? Are there are there some like practical tips ideas that you give in terms of effectively caring um, for people in ministry leadership? Absolutely. Uh, the most important thing, Carmen, and, and this is probably a no-brainer, but it bears mentioning because it's so absolutely vital. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> pray for your spouse. Uh, pray for all those leaders who are on the staff teams of your churches um, because they need those prayers. Um, you might think they might not need them because they have some, you know, mythical special relationship with God. But uh, like we said before, they're just human beings like us called by God to, to lead us to God. So um, please pray for them. Uh, the second thing you can do is, um, you know, figure out what blesses them and what fills their cup, um, how they get rest and encourage them to do that. It could be a gift card to Starbucks. Um, It could be a movie pass for a pastor and their spouse to have a date night. Um, That's one of the things that I commonly talk to our ministers about is, are you dating your wife? Are you dating your husband? Um, And to to do that every week. And that's something that because ministry leaders usually work on the weekends, uh, because uh, they have financial struggles, um, most of them uh, report that they're underpaid for the work that they do. Um, they, uh, they have a hard time getting on date nights, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, that's, that's another thing, um, that's practical. Uh, you can, um, give them a book, um, a book that has really blessed and encouraged you and, uh, just ask them how they're doing. Check in on them every now and then. So, um, in my experience, uh, in, in addition to those ideas, we can also, um, sort of like just straight up ask them, like, when's your Sabbath? And Absolutely. then encourage them to keep that. Like, you know, you just be the person who says, well, if your Sabbath is Monday, why do we have church meetings scheduled on Monday nights that people have some level of expectation you're going to be attending? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, help me understand that, right? And then you can be their advocate in the church calendar process where you say, you know what? The only people who can meet on Mondays are people who have no expectation that the pastor is going to be at their meeting because that's his Sabbath, and we're going to protect that. We're going to be the people who guard and protect that for him and for his family, for his health, in order that he can, you know, help our congregation be healthy. I like the way you guys approach the, you know, healthy pastor, healthy congregation kind of conversation, right? I mean, if my if my shepherd is not healthy, 
um, the flock is going to suffer. And so, you know, we want to be people who are advocating on behalf of our pastors, their spouses, and other ministry leaders um, as well. All right, Sean, you and I probably have time for one more uh, conversation topic on this. I'm I'm guessing that you're hearing from a lot of ministry leaders across the country in terms of new stresses um, related to social distancing and the, the suspension of services, um, financial stress related to how they're going to bring in enough money during a time when their people don't even get together. What are you hearing from ministry leaders just in the last couple of weeks as the coronavirus has really um, you know, sort of taken hold of everything? Yeah, the two most common things that I'm hearing, Carmen, are um, how do we gather? What are some new ways with technology that we can still be the church? Uh, do we open our doors? Do we close them all together? I mean, obviously, we want to keep social distancing, uh, but we don't want to live in fear either. So uh, a church in our neck of the woods, uh, they've gone totally online with services, uh, but then they've opened their doors for a couple hours for people to come and go. They limit the number of people that are coming in, but those people can come and worship and pray. So that's that's one thing that I've heard. Um, but uh, another thing is pastors are under attack right now. Uh, they're under attack uh, because they uh, are vulnerable, uh, like you said, financially. Um, I don't think many pastors are talking about, well, how are we going to make sure the money comes in? They're more talking about how can we how can we care for our people in this time of fear and uncertainty? Um, and one story from from our neck of the woods, um, a news outlet here in our area, um, several pastors, several dozen pastors got a fake text from our uh, governor saying, we're going to offer you a stimulus stimulus package to help pay bills and um, cover staff salaries and things like that. Um, and they did that to try to get information to, to get money from the churches. So mm. th- there are ways that your ministers are under attack that, that you don't realize um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're working hard. They're, they're faithful, uh, to, to find new ways to reach out and care for you. Um, they're meeting together in zoom calls and video calls. They're having phone meetings. Uh, trust me, they are not being idle. They're working hard to, to continue to advance God's kingdom. I'm, I'm actually, um, I, and this is going to sound strange. I'm kind of excited about what God is doing and and what God is going to do during this season. I just, you know, we've we've known that the harvest is ripe, um, and now um, people are openly sharing the gospel with their neighbors and friends in ways that they weren't before because they didn't think of their their home as a church necessarily, and they didn't think of their uh, of themselves as the missionary in their own community, like reaching out to their most vulnerable neighbors. I mean, it's. Um, it's an interesting time for us uh, as the saints uh, of God in the world today. We need to be equipped. We need our pastors and other ministry leaders um, healthy and ready to do that so that we can really do the work of ministry that God has, you know, set before each and every one of us in this particularly interesting uh, kingdom calling. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's that's what I'm hearing. I, I talk with student pastors who are mobilizing their students uh, lead pastors who are mobilizing their congregations and their communities. Um, some of the most common things I've heard are, you know, if you know someone in your community who's uh, who's alone, who, who lives alone, or an older couple, reach out to them. Ask them how you can serve them. Um, reach out to neighbors. You know, let them know that you're still here. Let them know that you're not afraid, while, of course, keeping your appropriate social distance. Um, but, uh, you know, social distancing can't uh, bottle up the gospel. 
And uh, suffering is one of the tools that God has used, uh, even though it's it's never easy. Um, he uses it in our lives to to draw us out, uh, to depend on His strength and His power, not our own, and to be the church is what you're saying. To uh, connect with those who need love, who need help, who need care, and uh, I think God's people are, are listening. Maybe they're listening because they're not running around all over the place, uh, busy and crazy like normal. Um, and I think I totally agree with what you're saying. This is an incredible opportunity for us as God's people, for us as the church, uh, to, to share the gospel, to, to make disciples, to care for the least of these, and, and to do it with intention and to do it without fear, uh, regardless of what's happening around us. All right, if you're listening right now, we want you to write down standingstoneministry.org. We want you to share this resource with your pastor, your pastor's spouse, and other ministry leaders um, in your church and in your community. Um, these are the shepherds who shepherd the shepherds. And so we want um, we want everyone who needs someone to come alongside them in ministry to have access to that. Standing alone. Oh, standing stone, not standing alone. Standingstoneministry.org. Sean Dean, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. It was a blessing. Godspeed. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right. I'm pretty excited about what God is doing today. wonder what he's doing in your life. You can give me an update. Text me at 877-933-2484. Email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, I am particularly interested to know, like, what is happening in and through your church, in and through your the Christian community where you live. Um, I know that some of you um, actually let me know yesterday that there are distilleries in your area who are converting their operations to produce hand sanitizer, alcohol-based hand sanitizer, instead of producing liquor. I got to tell you, I think God probably smiles about that. So that is, uh, that's happening in uh, Duluth. I know that's also happening in Milwaukee. Maybe it's happening in your community as well. I, I kind of like to know that. That would be kind of cool um, to be aware of. We are on what the president describes as a wartime footing. So what does that mean in terms of the conversion of, um, of practical resources in the community where you live? What, what does that, what might that look like um, for you and I and our families and our communities in the days and weeks ahead? You know, we're not going to be tearing up bed sheets to you know, to be sure there's enough bandages for um, for our soldiers. But what will we be doing? What kind of sacrifices will we be making? I'm curious to know. So text me, 877-933-2484, or email me, carmen, at myfaithradio.com. Next up, we got Dan DeWitt. It's the weekend worldview reader time. We are going to talk about uh, Francis Collins and his conversion to Christianity. He's the head of the National Institutes of Health. We'll be right back. The teen years always bring with them a measure of turbulence. But as a parent, you need to discern when the bumps are a passing inconvenience or a major warning sign. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your son or daughter struggles for more freedom or makes mistakes that put you on edge, that's entirely natural. But if they're causing harm to themselves or those around them, it's time to get help. So watch for signs such as marks on their body. Or take a look at the interaction they're having online. When you come across dangerous behavior, don't be afraid to call in the experts. When your gut instincts are shooting off flares, don't wait. Get help right away. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. 
or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. That's Dan DeWitt's walk-up music from Cedarville University. You can find him at theolatte.com. Hey, Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right, we're going to talk about the Weekend Worldview Reader in just a moment, which people can get at Theolatte. Um, but I want to start with um, this Francis, Francis Collins article in The Atlantic that you shared with me. It's an interview with the director of the NIH, um, and it is fascinating. So what what about this caught your attention? Well, I, I think the biggest thing that caught my attention, of course, Francis Collins is a New York Times bestselling author, um, although best known not because he's an author, but because he's a scientist. He led the Human Genome Project to completion ahead of time, under budget, all the things that people like to kind of celebrate. So he's this great scientist who came to faith And when I saw that there was an article about him talking about the coronavirus in the Atlantic, I thought it would just be that, you know, kind of here are the the best medical practices, the best scientific thinking on it. And the article takes an interesting turn in which the journalist focuses entirely on Francis Collins' Christian faith. And that really struck me as surprising in this article that's about the coronavirus. So I'm going to read um, a paragraph. Growing up, Collins' religious instruction was limited to being sent to the local Episcopal church choir to learn music, quote, instructed by my dad to ignore the rest of it, which I did, end quote, he told me. In college and then graduate school, he found himself moving from the category of agnostic to atheist, quote, I would have uh, challenged anybody who wanted to bring to the conversation some discussion about God. Uh, I would have asserted they were basically stuck in some past era of supernaturalism that's no longer necessary because science has eliminated the need for it, end quote. Um, But the time came when, as a third-year medical student, he was no longer learning about the human body in a lecture hall. He was sitting at a bedside of people Mm -hmm. with terrible illnesses, most of which physicians had imperfect methods to to, uh, able to help. So let's let's talk about um, his—the way God— walked this man to the point of faith? Because that's really what's happening here. Yeah, you know, he describes one of these um, patients who is, you know, wrestling with the big questions that we all have to face, you know, what happens after we die? And it was a person of great faith. And they finally turned and said, you've listened to me talk about my faith, but you've not said anything. What do you believe? And that simple question, Colin says, was like a thunderclap, um, which is, you know, really timely here because we had thunderstorms all night long. But, but for Francis Collins, he said that was like a thunderclap, and he realized he had to deal with that that question. And so he describes how he read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that exposed um, how many of his reasons for rejecting God were pretty shallow and superficial. And so it was that question and Lewis's book— um, that led him to recognize his agnosticism was a bit of a intellectual mask, and he hadn't dealt with the big question, and he didn't have good reasons, he felt like, for rejecting the God of the Bible who revealed himself in history in Christ. So I love this uh, this particular paragraph. It's Again, I'm reading from a piece in The Atlantic, uh, an interview with Francis, Francis Collins of the NIH. 
you can um, you can find it. It's just it's just called NIH director, quote, we're on an exponential curve. Francis Collins speaks about the coronavirus, his faith and an unusual friendship. Peter Weiner is the um, uh, is the is the author of the piece. Here's here's the paragraph. I realized in the very first two or three pages, he's talking here about C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which happens to be Dan DeWitt's, um, I think, favorite book. Yes. Um, uh, I realized in the very first two or three pages of that book that most of my objections against faith were utterly simplistic. They were arguments from a schoolboy. Here was an Oxford intellectual giant who had traveled the same path from atheism to faith and had a way of describing why that way, that way made sense that was utterly disarming. It was also very upsetting. It was not the answer I was looking for. Um, and so Collins um, eventually, uh, at the age of 27, becomes a Christian. Talk, um, talk about the unusual friendship that he developed with, uh, with another atheist along the way. Yeah, and again, I think that one of the interesting things about this story is it starts out being about the coronavirus, and Francis Collins has expertise on this. starts with this very sobering projection of a worst-case scenario, how many people we could see die, and then it leads to his faith, and also the journalist being startled by the fact that he was such close friends with Christopher Hitchens. Now, the timeline here is interesting because Hitchens died in 2012. So here's a, a recent article about a pandemic that we're facing today, and the journalist just can't get away from um, Francis Collins's Christian faith, nor can he get away from the fact that Christopher Hitchens, this public intellectual, world-famous journalist, world-famous atheist, had become such close friends with Christopher Hitchens. So the article outlines their relationship together and how Francis Collins spoke at Hitch's funeral. I mean, that's extraordinary, right? Absolutely. Um, and it, what I love about this article, too, is it shows us that in, in a time of anxiety and fear, that the Christian faith and Christian friendship will shine through. And this article and this journalist illustrates that very well for us. In fact, I love how he, he ends the article by saying um, how Christopher Hitchens greatly respected Francis Collins. So he writes, on Friday, April 20th, 2012, at a memorial service for Hitchens, Collins spoke and played his song on the piano for Hitchens. It was a beautiful and touching moment, an act of friendship by a man of great grace. Christopher Hitchens was right about Francis Collins. He is the best of the faithful. I'm going to return to this conversation with Dan DeWitt in just a moment. We are, um, we are talking about a post that he has in his Weekend Worldview Reader, which you can get at theolatte.com. Uh, and we're going to talk more about what's in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So the testimony of Francis Collins, uh, which is, you know, just God pursuing him, um, not only through individual conversations, but through the writings of, uh, you know, a person generations before him um, or a generation before him. Um, I'm talking with Dan DeWitt about a, a piece in The Atlantic about Francis Collins, who's the director of the NIH. Um, and it has led us to a conversation about Christopher Hitchens. So, um, so Dan, I'm wondering when we... When we think about people who seem to be so adversarial to the Christian faith, um, what do we have to keep in mind in terms of what God might be doing 
in the background and through the conversations that we as Christians have with them? You never know what's going on under the surface. And so an interesting thing with Christopher Hitchens is that he described himself as a contrarian. In fact, there's a book filled with essays by Hitchens called The Contrarian. And whatever circle he found himself in, he would end up being kind of an outlier, challenging the system itself. So even as a leader among the new atheists, he was challenging that. And Francis Collins and other um, caring Christians gave him an opportunity to be a contrarian within the atheist movement. And I think at the end of his life, he had some serious questions. Um, not, I, I would never go as far as to say that I think he became a Christian, but I think it's clear that he was questioning things. And so you never know what's going on under the surface. For Hitchens, he spent his final days on his deathbed writing his last essay, which was published in The Atlantic after he died, on G.K. Chesterton. All right, well, remind people who that is, because there may be people listening who don't have a a reference point for that name. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton is who C.S. Lewis was reading when Lewis was an atheist, and he read G.K. Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, which Chesterton was a Christian, a journalist, someone who defended the Christian faith. And as Lewis read Chesterton, Lewis describes that as one of the major contributions to him leaving atheism behind. And Hitchens would have been reading that. Hitchens says in his essay that he read over 1,500 pages of Chesterton um, from all of Chesterton's books on his deathbed. So you never know. Why is it that his last essay was on Chesterton? Why is it that he was so drawn to Francis Collins? From the outside, a hard... Oh, I was going to say either um, either I've gone dark or uh, or Dan DeWitt has gone dark. So Paul will, will work feverishly to get Dan back. Um, I'm talking with Dan DeWitt. We're talking about his weekend worldview reader, which you can find at theolatte.com. Um, it's interesting when I think through this progression that Dan just walked us uh, walked us through. Um, and we think about Christopher Hitchens being influenced by a friendship with Francis Collins. And we think about Francis Collins being influenced um, not only by, you know, Christians who spoke into his life very winsomely, there's the testimony of, of pastors who uh, did, not, um, did not turn away when he asked them what ultimately he recognizes were foolish questions, but the influence of C.S. Lewis and the book Mere Christianity upon Francis Collins. And then when we go back uh, another, um, another layer, the influence that G.K. Chesterton had through his book, The Everlasting Man, on C.S. Lewis, and then go back to where this conversation started, and Christopher Hitchens is reflecting on G.K. Chesterton um, literally upon his deathbed. So just in terms of the way things that we read and write and say uh, to one another, um, God does use even over many, many generations. Dan, uh, I got Dan DeWitt back. Um, Dan, what else is in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader that you want to highlight? Well, I have a handful of articles that I published this week that I, I just wanted to offer some encouragement. So it's it's fitting that we mentioned Chesterton. Chesterton's a part of a um, network of people, of authors, that we often refer to as the Inklings. The original Inklings were a small group of people like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, um, but Chesterton's affiliated with them. So I have four articles by different people fil- affiliated with the Inklings that I hope are encouraging. And then um, a number of other articles, like the one we've been talking about, a book um, by a friend of mine, Natasha Crane, talking to your kids about Jesus, and then a video. So it's a pretty uh, pretty full weekend reading list for you. 
Well, and, you know, we all have more time to read because we're not driving anywhere. So there you go. That's right. Um, Dan, what's um, what's one disruption that you are um, experiencing but then also embracing in this time? The disruption would be, you know, our kids are home from school on what seems to be the uh, perpetual spring break. And it is disruptive because there's a number of things we want to get done but we're embracing it and enjoying some extra time with our kids. Well, so you also took an experience that's ordinarily face-to-face, and you took it online um, via Facebook Live, um, and I thought that was uh, very, very compelling and very engaging. T- tell people about about that because, you know, folks are looking for stuff um, to engage in and sort of feed their souls in these days. Yeah, I, so every week at Cedarville University, I sit – in the coffee shop at, on Friday mornings, and anybody who wants to come hang out can. We call it Mere Caffeination, and again, just a play off of C.S. Lewis's book, and we talk about what's going on. It's very similar to what we're doing here, Carmen, and since I can't do that with students on campus, I'm now doing it online, and so I'm going to be doing it on my Facebook page. I did it for the first one yesterday, and I'm going to make that a weekly routine as long as students aren't allowed back on campus. So on my Facebook wall, facebook.com slash Dan DeWitt, on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to live stream Mere Caffeination. Yeah, I think that's really fun. You guys can also follow Dan on Twitter at Dan DeWitt. So, you know, he's easy to find on the social medias, and DeWitt is spelled D-E. W-I-T-T. Um, check out Theo Latte. That's like God and coffee. Theolatte.com, where you can pick up this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. Thank you so much, Dan. We appreciate it. Thanks, Carmen. Look forward to the next time. All right. We'll be yeah. right back. Okay, so I also uh, do some stuff on Facebook Live. So if you go to Facebook and you search for Reconnect with Carmen, so I'm just at Reconnect with Carmen on Facebook. Uh, Yesterday, I participated in International Read to Me Day by reading uh, a board book, um, board like like the pages are like little boards, right? So it's designed for kids. It's called Don't Forget to Remember, and it's by Ellie Holcomb. And so if you want to, um, you know, I have some very young friends. They're the kids of uh, of my friends who are in my community group at church. And so yesterday at noon, I really read the book to them on Facebook Live. So Stephen and Carson in particular sat, and, um, and they're twins, and they're in the first grade, and I know they sat and watched it and appreciated it. And so... Uh, if you've got little people and you want uh, me to read them a book, there you go. You can go to um, at Reconnect with Carmen on Facebook and click on the video, and there you go. I will be reading Ellie Holcomb's uh, Don't Forget to Remember book to you and your little people. Um, okay, so I found one really fascinating article. I have not been able to uh, get get direct contact information for this individual, but if I can... Um, I'm I'm going to have him on. So the state of Washington has a lieutenant governor whose name is Cyrus Habib. Uh, and he's not only a Christian, he is leaving political life in order to join the Society of Jesus, which is the Jesuits. Um, and he's doing so this fall. So this is a guy who was like on a meteoric um, 
political rise. And he says, I felt a calling to dedicate my life in a more direct and personal way to serving the marginalized, empowering the vulnerable, healing those suffering from spiritual wounds, and accompanying those discerning their own futures. Um, And so uh, I just want us to be praying today. Cyrus uh, Habib um, uh, is uh, Iranian. He's an Iranian immigrant. Um, And uh, it's just a great story. He's also a three-time cancer survivor. He's also been blind since the age of eight. I don't know. Are you inspired yet? I am. I am. All right. So let's pray today for brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's specifically pray for Cyrus Habib as he makes this transition from political life as the lieutenant governor of the state of Washington to um, seminary. He's moving into, like, right, dedicating his life to the the Lord in a very tangible way um, as a Jesuit. I know, it's kind of cool. All right, what are you and I going to do today to advance the gospel and the kingdom? We're going to do it in a way that is socially distant from one another, but absolutely engaged and spiritually robust. And so let's be people who who reach out to our neighbors in appropriate ways and and absolutely tend to the needs of the most vulnerable uh, today. All right, friends, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.